Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. Let's think today about the topic of satire in Pride and Prejudice. Firstly, what is satire? Well, Satire is basically a way of authors criticising things in their own society by poking fun of them through humour. And Austen does this a lot in Pride and Prejudice. Um, Think about the elements of society that Austen really seems to ridicule. And you've got a good idea there in those areas where the satire in the novel lies. So one of the big things that Austin likes to point out is people's hypocrisy. And nowhere is this more apparent in the character of Mr. Wickham. So Wickham is fundamentally a complete hypocrite. He says one thing, but he does another. He has two sides, the side of himself that is the polite, agreeable character that everybody Um, likes. He's a charmer. But then underneath that is the real Wickham, uh, the gambler, the person who's um, tried to seduce various women to to get a fortune. Um, And so Austin shows through his character the the fact that appearance can be very deceptive and that at its heart in his society there was a lot of hypocrisy. People look at Wickham on the outside, like Elizabeth herself, and because he looks respectable and he talks like a gentleman, they believe that he is a gentleman. Um, But of course, um, as we find out, nothing can be further from the truth. Now, Elizabeth's prejudice against Darcy and in favour of Wickham means that she chooses to believe Wickham's story about, oh, you know, Darcy, he didn't give me the the living that I was meant to have. And, you know, he's, he's really wronged me. Um, but what's interesting is that when um, Wickham then runs off with Lydia and the whole affair sort of um, comes out into the society, um, Austin writes that all Meryton seemed striving to blacken the man who, but three months before, had been almost an angel of light. Um, And there's that kind of irony, that satire there, that the whole town, um, as soon as it's heard that Wickham's run off with Lydia, says, oh, I knew it all along. Um, I I didn't trust him at all. Um, And of course, it's not true. The narrative um, goes on to say, everybody declared he was the wickedest young man in the world. And everybody began to find out that they had always distrusted the appearance of his goodness. So Wickham manages successfully to dupe everyone. Um, It's only through Darcy telling Elizabeth the truth that she finds out. And then, of course, his true character is known once he runs off with Lydia. Now, what is also really interesting in that whole scenario is that when um, Darcy manages to intervene and basically bribes Wickham to marry Lydia, um, we are led to believe that basically he paid £10,000 for that to happen. Um, Lydia and Wickham pay a visit to the Bennets just before they are to go to a new regiment in Newcastle. Basically, they've been sent as far away as possible. Um, But in this visit, instead of having a sense of 
remorse for what they've done in acting in such a scandalous way um, on Wickham's part any sense of um, a sense of what he's done in seducing such a young girl um, and being so openly bribed to marry her both of them are completely brazen and they march through Longbourn um, Lydia's sort of showing off her ring in the carriage um, declaring that she must go before Jane now because she's a married woman and Wickham himself even tries to have a conversation with Elizabeth where he sort of harps on about his old grievances about Darcy and Elizabeth makes it plain to him that she now really knows the truth and he can't have those kind of conversations with her anymore. Um, but his kind of insidious nature of even after really being exposed for what he is, he still tries to um, play the, the charmer. Um, and Elizabeth sort of gets to the point where she can't even believe she fell for it in the first place. So in that sense, the reader, like society, um, is duped by Wickham and we are shown the fact that we are so easily deceived by a character who's such an obvious hypocrite. So there's an element of satire about um, society itself in the way that we, we judge people by their appearance and their manners rather than their real moral character. Of course, the irony here is that Darcy is shown to be the more morally sound character, but everyone's misjudged him because his manners aren't great. Now, another um, aspect of satire in the novel is where Austen makes fun of society's attitudes. Um, and I'm going to just think about a couple of different areas in which society's attitudes are highlighted. In chapter one, we can't fail to see Austen's satirising her society's attitudes to money and marriage. And note how money and marriage really are inseparable in this whole novel. So the first line of the novel, um, I know we keep coming back to it, but it is so crucial, is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. The, the satire here is clear. Um, a single man in possession of fortune with money must be in want of a wife. Well, the irony is there, he's probably not, um, but society wishes to believe that it's so. And certainly a single woman without a good fortune is in need of a husband. Mrs. Bennet as a character is almost a caricature. She's a very funny character, but she's constantly um, drawing the reader's attention to these social attitudes about money. Now, we laugh at Mrs. Bennet because she says the things out loud that nobody's supposed to say, but there's a truth that the things that she says are the things that everyone is actually really thinking. So, for example, when she's very open about wanting um, Mr. Bingley to marry one of her daughters before she's even met him, but just because of the fact that he's got 5,000 a year. Um, and Mr. Bennett sort of pokes fun at this attitude um, and sort of teases out the um, his design in settling there. Um, she says, my dear Mr. Bennett, how can you be so tiresome? You must know that I'm thinking of his marrying one of them. Mr. Bennett says, is that his design in settling here? Um, Mrs. Bennett responds, design? Nonsense. How can you talk so? But it is very likely that he may fall in love with one of them and therefore you must visit him as soon as he comes. So Mrs. Bennett's really 
open maneuvering of situations to desperately try and get one of her daughters to marry Bingley um, is comical in, in the novel, but it does um, reveal something about Austen society that underneath the mask, the veneer of politeness, that many women wouldn't be this obvious about it, that was really what they were trying to do. The second thing, attitude that, that Austen sort of satirises is the attitude of her society towards social status. So you've got a couple of key characters like Mr. Collins, um, William Lucas and Lady Catherine de Bourgh, all of whom have these ridiculous notions about social status and the pecking order. So Lady Catherine de Bourgh, very proud of her title, being um, the daughter of an earl, a lady, um, loves to preserve the distinctions of rank. So Collins quite hilariously tells Elizabeth when she's going to go to dinner with Lady Catherine to not worry that her dresses are um, meagre because Lady Catherine likes to have the distinctions of rank preserved. In other words, it doesn't matter if you were dressing too finely, she wouldn't like it anyway. There are many f funny um, examples of Lady Catherine and we hear that she likes to sally forth within her parish and settle all the disputes and she likes to, to visit the poor and tell them how to not be poor, basically. Um, but there's, there's this satire here that this person in such great social status um, is actually quite ignorant and rude and um, it's mean and small minded. And this is really shown in the climactic conflict and confrontation between Lady Catherine and Elizabeth in chapter 56. Now, this is the point where Lady Catherine has caught wind. We don't really know how that Darcy wants to marry Elizabeth and of course Darcy being her nephew and she has intended for him to marry her daughter um, she decides to visit Elizabeth to basically prohibit her from ever accepting an offer of marriage from her nephew so it's a little bit of a ridiculous premise anyway um, because she has no right to interfere and it, there's nothing that would stop Elizabeth from marrying Darcy anyway but in the conversation, Lady Catherine keeps coming back to social status and rank. So, you know, she refers to um, Elizabeth's connections uh, and says um, about her own daughter, while in their cradles, we planned the union. Now, at the moment when the wishes of both sisters would be accomplished in their marriage to be prevented by a young woman of inferior birth, of no importance in the world and wholly unallied to the family. Do you pay no regard to the wishes of his friends, to his tacit engagement with Mr. Berg? So she keeps referring to Elizabeth's lack of status. Um, but Elizabeth stands her ground and, and says, he is a gentleman. I am a gentleman's daughter. So far, we are equal. Now, Lady Catherine does not accept that because she says, you are a gentleman's daughter, but who was your mother? Who are your aunts and uncles? Do not imagine me ignorant of their condition. There's a there's an edge of hardness underneath this incident in that Austin is is satirizing, making ridiculous these um, social distinctions because Elizabeth and Darcy are well matched. They can make each other happy, and for them to be separated by this pretension of Lady Catherine's wing of the family would be ridiculous. 
However, underneath it, there is this more serious nature of, you know, why as a society do we care so much about this? And I think Austin is, is trying to make us question that. Now, finally, the other area where Austin satirizes attitudes in society is towards women. Um, and you've got a character like Caroline Bingley, who really epitomizes this. She recites to Darcy all of the things that make a woman accomplished, must have a thorough knowledge of um, drawing and modern foreign languages, music, um, art. She must be, um, she must have some, a certain something in her manner of walking and talking and carriage. Um, and she kind of recites it all as if from a textbook. It's funny, but it's true that there were many such instructional um, books around at Austin's time telling women how to dress, how to act, how to talk in order to secure themselves a good marriage. Um, and so there's this real satire of, you know, is this really all we think women are capable of? And Elizabeth, by her saying, you know, I must wonder at you knowing any accomplished women, um, points out that this is a an impossible standard. Um, and actually, it's a bit of a waste of, of a woman's talent to do all these things, because as soon as she gets married, she's just going to end up bearing children and that's the rest of her life gone. We have to always remember as well, the very, very high rates of um, mortality in childbirth. You know, every time a woman gets married, um, she's accepting that her life expectancy has now drastically reduced because every time she has a child and women often had, you know, seven to ten children, they may not all survive past childhood. Um, it's, it's a one in ten chance that she's going to die in childbirth anyway. So Austin satirises the attitudes towards women. Um, we also see this in Collins's proposal, the way that he sort of, you know, he says is, is by no means certain another offer of marriage may ever be made to you, to Elizabeth. He can't comprehend why she would refuse him. And then, of course, we have poor old Charlotte Lucas, who um, sort of contrives to meet Collins accidentally in the lane. She knows why he's there um, and um, listens to his completely fictional description of his love for her and accepts him out of a pure disinterested desire of an establishment. So with no affection on either side, they go through the motions, they pretend that they're in love with each other because that's what society tells them to do. But fundamentally, they're just getting married for security and for what it gains them. That is an example of, of satire. But again, as with Lady Catherine, there's an edge there, an edge there of pathos, an edge of sadness that that she lives in a society where women have to do that. So when you're looking at, at satire generally, look at what is Austen's moral code underneath what she represents to you. So, for example, when Wickham is simpering around having married Lydia, what is Austen trying to say underneath that of what actually he should be doing and what his attitude should be. So if you can read through the layers of meaning in the novel and identify successfully what Austin's moral code would say and then what's wrong with what the characters do, you'll have a really good idea of why Austin is using satire and what, what it's achieving in the novel. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. 
I'm always open to requests, so if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.